Kristen's back. Call a friend. <laughs> Guess who's back? Guess, Guess who's back. back. Is it tell a friend? Yeah. Yeah, my bad. That no, was close. Not call a friend. Hey, well, it's still technically sort of COVID, so yeah. I, can't, I can't tell a friend. I have to call a friend. <laughs> I have no friends here. You've bastardized the great Slim Shady. Well, shit happens. He'll never be able to stand up. Welcome to the Nightmare Box, presenting Mistakes Are Made. My name is Brett Bloom, and I'm sitting across from the beautiful, the effervescent, the fresh out of the bath, Kristen Bloom. Yeah, been yeah. today. We slept till like noon. Fuck yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then I took a bath, and that was basically all that happened, and here we are. <laughs> and uh, see you guys next week. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I do have uh, teensy-weensy news. Um, so I've been working on kind of... Uh, my marketing and my social presence for myself Hell and yeah. by default uh i took a peek at like our website and like some of our stuff that we've been severely slacking on <laughs> um and i realized today that the twitter handle for the nightmare box was available so we are now no longer at nightmare box pro on twitter we are at the nightmare box nice um i've got to get all the sign-in information and i think we should figure out how to post on it a lot more often. Yeah, we should definitely be better about it. Uh, which is where I was going with that. I've been kind of working on um, my own social media stuff for, you know, just my personal stuff and um, definitely want to kind of get better about yeah. posting at all on the Nightmare Boxes stuff because we don't post at all. Yeah. Um, uh, but yeah, just to update you guys, which is unfortunate for me because I'm going to have to go through and... Uh, edit all of the podcast descriptions if I want them to reflect that or just decide I don't care. And just start from here. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yes, we are no longer at, on Twitter, we are no longer at Nightmare Box Pro. We are at The Nightmare Box. Uh, Instagram is still Nightmare Box Productions just because somehow that hasn't used her Instagram since <laughs> 2018 has The Nightmare Box. So. Stole my name? Yeah. Bitch. Yeah. So... <laughs> Instagram is Nightmare Box Productions. Twitter is The Nightmare Box. Fuck yeah. And we'll get a lot better about posting on there. I've been talking with Kristen about trying to do um, a weekly or bi-weekly story and throwing it up on the website just to get kind of back in the practice to that. I've got a larger project on the side, but as it is, I've always got like these little weird ideas that I could probably play with inside of like 1,500 to 2,000 words. Um, which is what I used to do on the website anyway. So we'll post up the links for the shows on that Twitter handle, as well as any links to any stories that I come up with. Um, we're doing good on the, my big, big project, though. And then we started a brand new project last night. We're opening a bar. Oh, <laughs> I was like, we did? <laughs> much, a much, bottle, much later down the road. <laughs> a bottle and a half. Of wine, you're Don't not getting any of the details. Yeah. You're not getting any of the details, but it'll be the coolest goddamn bar the world has ever fucking known. <laughs> Eventually was, later on when we have more money. Yeah. <laughs> so we'll keep you updated on that in a couple of years. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I do want to, um, because I just recently finally took the dive and bought the URL for my own website, because mine mm -hmm. has always just been like whatever default uh, URL Wix gives you. Yeah. Um, and what is that website, Kristen Bloom? It's, it's KristenBloom.com. Is it KristenBloom.com? <laughs> it is. It's fantastic, by the way. She put a lot of work into it. I shared it with my lovely mother, and she affirms that it's awesome. <laughs> Thank you. <babe. laughs> um, but, yeah, I, I might uh, 
tinker around on the Nightmare Boxes website as well and kind of okay. change some stuff and update some stuff. So hopefully you guys will be getting fresh content <laughs> in the near future. And maybe eventually one day I'll start putting descriptions on the podcast shows again. Yeah. Um, we got to get back after it. It's just, it's been such a wonky fucking year and a half. And mm-hmm. The reason why we haven't posted a podcast in two weeks, guys, we didn't die. We didn't break up. It was smoke season. We couldn't breathe. So yeah, it's, uh, this is it rained yesterday and this morning and kind of pulled a lot of that out. So we got some energy. Yeah, this is legitimately, if I could talk. Um, the first weekend we've even been able to really see the sky in probably at least a month. Yeah. It has been a Pacific Northwest is on fire. Horrible fire <laughs> season this year and on top of it it's been like record high heats mm-hmm. for Montana, so it's just been all around miserable. <laughs> Can't breathe, dying of a heat stroke. Um, but the windows are open today, as Hell you yeah. can hear. And it's we're actually... back on our bowl like a cowboy. <laughs> it's actually <laughs> nice out and I'm so excited. Fuck yeah. Right. And that's the show. No, I'm, I'm excited <laughs> to get things kind of rolling again because it has been a while. Like I, I'm writing a couple of times a week, but not long form like I need to be, like either sitting down at a legal pad and trying to fill at least a page a day or a, a week would be nice. Like I have a lot of ideas, so like my whiteboard is constantly moving around. I'm going to have to erase it again here pretty soon and put those ideas inside the notebook. Yeah, you can totally erase my corner, by the way. <laughs> You're good. Okay. You don't have to leave that there. <clears throat> but things are coming along. I'm going to get I just a, want... his and hers whiteboard. I'm going to have my whiteboard and your I'm whiteboard. for it. <laughs> Whatever you want. There's enough space up there. But um, I, I'm looking forward to like consciously trying to get after it again because it's been a while due to the COVID situation that everybody is fucking aware of and now the smoke season, you know, our personal uh, lives and employments and trying to get into these math. There's a lot of shit going on. Yeah. Um, so I'm trying to consciously make, even if it's like an hour a week of consciously trying to tackle it, you know, that's an hour more than I've got right now. I'd like to do an hour a day, but I work 10, to, 10 hours a day. So <laughs> I know trying Kinda to hard to find the motivation. Yeah, I just got back into the gym. That's, you know, positive heading forward, getting back into the things that I enjoy, and then getting back into the writing, trying to figure out more stuff for the show, and of course your films, and building the websites, and building the social media things, just consciously attacking it again, because I do feel like it's more stress for sure, but I always feel better in that situation. Yeah. You know, as opposed to otherwise you're on. just stressed in general and working yeah. at a dumb job you hate. And there's and, <laughs> a, and it's and I'm not actively trying to break out of the prison that is that mm-hmm. side of my life, you know. Um, I always feel better when I'm at the war against the world. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And I will not be a part of you. <laughs> and it, I mean, there's been a lot of reasons. It's not like we've just not been doing anything at all but um you know it has been a pretty crazy damn near two years to be honest mm-hmm. pretty much since we got here it's been kind of wild <laughs> but um yeah and like I've been feeling that myself like there have been like months where it's just been so stressful and we're like barely keeping up and then like when you fall out of the rhythm of doing the stuff you actually enjoy mm-hmm. then you just feel even worse because you're like I'm miserable and I'm miserable <laughs> and that's all there is <laughs> And, um, yeah, like, even just, like, minor stuff, which is not really that big of a deal, but, like, um, I was 
revamping my website because I applied to something that I am not going to discuss until I know the answer <laughs> um, on that application. Proud but of you. Thank you. <laughs> um, but yeah, I was like kind of working on my own personal stuff just to like submit out my shit and like after doing even just that, I was like, okay, I feel a little better about myself, but there's probably more we could do. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Well, what kind of put it in perspective in, you know, the, the near part for me is I had the craziest shit happen to me at my job. My supervisor just said, fuck it, and grabbed his shit and walked out the door. So <laughs> when your boss just says, fuck it, and walks out the door, like, it gives you so much more of the, I could just walk out the door. I mean, sure, I'm not in my 60s. I don't have as big of a nest egg as he had. <laughs> but he literally just said, yeah, no, <laughs> I'm gone. And I was like, I can I, I can aspire for that kind of, be, yeah, you know, behavior. That's been a hard, hard battle to fight against lately, mm -hmm. I'll be honest. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think, too, it doesn't help either because of COVID. A lot of people haven't been working, and there's been some hesitancy for some people to want to return to work. So yeah. most places are understaffed. And I've been feeling extremely overworked. You've been feeling extremely overworked. Because we never just... stopped. We were essential personnel from the get-go. Yeah. So, yeah. There was no break. <laughs> and, yeah. It just got harder. Employees have come and gone in the in-between, and you're still just there having to do the work mm -hmm. and that's been it's been hard not to say just fuck it and walk <laughs> out <laughs> if i'm being honest yeah but I, I think we're close to something love I, I, I really do you know keep that little fire as cormac mccarthy said <laughs> and long no on the road <laughs> <laughs> yeah i have my my tiny hurdles i'm setting so i'm like if i can jump this little baby one I well, can that, get the bigger that, one. That's important, that little, like, one step at a time, slowly building toward it. Don't expect to wake up tomorrow as, you know, the New York Times best-selling author if you're not writing the pages. You know, you can never, I mean, don't expect that. Anyway, Ever. That shouldn't be why you're doing <laughs> it. But, like, if that's your dream, you, it starts with writing that first sentence or that first paragraph, getting that first chapter knocked out, and then doing that, you know, a shitload more forever until you die. And uh, sad, penniless, and uh, but you fulfilled. Were, fulfilled. You are full of enthusiasm. Today. <laughs> you went out into the fresh air. Why are you not more energized? <laughs> it was rainy, though. I'll give you that. Uh, yeah, I no, I agree. I I mean, I think in a perfect world, it'd be nice to have enough money that you don't have to worry. Like, not like yeah. I'm rich, bitch, but. The thing that they say where, like, once you hit $80,000, everything else is just, you know, a game. Yeah. You know, you hit $80,000, you can just go into a restaurant without checking your bank account. You know? <laughs> I, I mean, again, ideally in a perfect world, it'd be nice to have enough money to not have to worry. But uh, I would just be stoked to have just enough to get by that I could quit working for other people. Yeah. <laughs> like, if I was, like, still penny-pinching, but I was like, I don't have to go to work if I don't want to go to work. <laughs> yeah, and that's made that it more difficult nice. in the um, in the freelancing thing, which is how I made a substantial amount of cash for a while. Not substantial, like I was 100% living off of it, but enough to where I could nest egg, you know, most of my work paychecks through the, the freelancing. Um I'd, I'd be happy if I could just get back into that making roughly what I am now, even if I was 12 times more stressed out doing it, just because I'd be behind the laptop and actively working on something that I feel will fulfill me more than my current job, you know? I go into my job and it's th th there's no mission there. And that's what bugs me in life is when I don't have a mission. <laughs> 
I go in and every day is the exact same, you know, problem, and it, it never gets better because it's a county animal shelter. So animals are constantly being brought, and your job never changes. You're never going to reach the point where, okay, we've homed all of the animals, <laughs> nobody needs assistance, and this is, you know, we can close the building down and pull out of Afghanistan. Um. <laughs> <laughs> it's good to have goals, Brett. <laughs> but with, uh, like, freelancing, um, sure, I mean, it's all technically writing, or it's all technically editing, but the mission is that piece and that piece oh. is going to be different from every other piece that you see well i think too which it's probably true of a lot of professions that are similar but at the end of the day with writing or filmmaking or even like leather working or mm -hmm. something like that at the end of the day you've spent your day working on creating a thing and then at the end of the day you're like I made this thing. Yeah, it's this, here. This came from me. Yeah. Um, I got buddies who are mechanics that have loved auto body shit since we were like 12. And they go to work happy every fucking day. Yeah. You know, because they're not just changing the oil. Like, I've got my buddy Alex works in like a collision repair. So every day is a new problem to fix. Yeah. And I, I think jobs where, I mean, I wouldn't want to be a mechanic, but like jobs yeah. like that where you're ultimately producing a result from a thing that you created mm -hmm. probably feel a lot more personally rewarding because it's not just like, oh, like, let me crunch some numbers and do yeah. this thing and talk to these people. Like, it's like, I actually legit spent a couple of hours and at the end of those hours, I created this thing. Exactly. So there's a, a reward to the effort. And I think like the last time I felt that for sure was the last NaNoWriMo when I came up with the rough draft for what I would hope to eventually be a feature-length film that I'm terrified of going back and fixing because I know that the first act is shit. Two and three are awesome. So it's it, it'll be a minor adjustment as far as story goes, and then, of course, all the editing to bring it all back together again. Which one's that one? Um, the one I wrote about the, okay. this place. Okay. I was thinking that was what you were talking about, but I was like, I wasn't sure. Yeah, it's a, a thriller, um, like a serial killer thriller. So I'm, I'm not entirely original in that front, but it's my take on serial killer thrillers, and I know a thing or two about serial killer thrillers to move my way around a lot of the tropes. So I've got reversals, I've got, oh, shits, I've got scary shit, gore. I don't think violence. any idea is totally original anymore. Oh, it is. I think everyone has at least done the basis of everything you could possibly do at this yeah, point. Yeah, just play with it a little bit. <laughs> yeah. You know, make it your own. But, I mean, yeah, after M. Night Shyamalan revealed that he'd been dead the entire time, that, like, third act shift, the Kevin Spacey shift, and, um, the usual suspects. Maybe that's something that we could talk about. We can like land in some zone for a while. Um, <laughs> is the the reversal that happens in film and happens in in literature? Um, it is done a million times. Recently, uh, Kristen and I watched Spiral, and if you're interested in watching Spiral, turn this off. Are you gone? Okay, let's talk about this hulking piece of shit. It was not a good movie. Yeah. <laughs> I have watched every Saw movie. I own every Saw movie. I love the first three Saw movies. <laughs> Maybe five. I like number five. Um, and we watched Jigsaw together, which was like 
I guess, the last one that the actual killer had set up, if I remember that one correctly, or was that Amanda or... I don't remember, to be honest. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, at a certain point, Jigsaw dies. I think that's three or four. And then Amanda takes over for one, and Detective Matthews takes over for one, and then some other FBI agent guy that I can't remember who, like, runs into the back room after Jigsaw dies. He winds up in charge of shit. And it's this huge web. It's a it's a mess. It, the story is lost after the third film. <laughs> it, it it cannibalized itself, and I don't think James Wan worked on too many of them after that. It became one of these franchise type films, like mm-hmm. a, like a Friday the Thirteenth or a Halloween, where it, it it's completely disconnected from the beauty of that first movie, the simplicity of it. Um, but I picked up Spiral because it was like a direct-to-DVD release that had been delayed by COVID, so it never got its theatrical, if I remember correctly. And it starred... Yeah, I think they did. They delayed the release because they wanted it to come out in theaters. Yeah. So it did, It like a year later, it did a theater run. It must have been very short and uneventful, because <laughs> it stars Chris Rock, who sells fucking tickets, and I love, and Samuel fucking Jackson. <laughs> And where do we start with it? I, I mean, I was not impressed with it at all. And it was hyper... Because, yeah, like the premise of the Saw movies, I guess, is there's always the big reveal at the end of who the bad guy is. Yeah, and it to was, the da-da-dum-tsh, yeah. da-da-dum-tsh, da-da-dum. And it was obvious pretty much within the first 15 yeah. 20 minutes of the movie who the actual bad guy was. We called it, and then they yeah. tried to play this diddy-didn't-he angle, and it's like, he definitely did. You're not yeah. convincing me enough that he didn't. Yeah. And they took away the iconic um, fucking puppet and replaced us with the pig, who was in the original movies. Um, but we have a female jigsaw voice, so like we don't even have... A, I, I know it's quote from the book of Saw and it's not supposed to be a Saw movie but it's a fucking Saw movie you've you brought once you bring the pig in <laughs> you're you're in the same universe well, so it's a Saw film the original character's name too they're like oh is this John. related to yeah, yeah John and they're like well he's dead but it could be a copycat you know <laughs> um, so then we had the copycat angle after you knew he was dead. Like, fucking, every movie after he died, the angle of the movie was, it's a copycat killer. And it's like, I'm aware. I've been watching these movies since I was a kid. But, yeah, I think the biggest shooting themselves in the foot thing, and, I don't know, maybe if you're not a content creator, that isn't where your mind goes. Like, if Mm -hmm. you're just a consumer, maybe you don't notice that kind of stuff. But, to me, it was, like, glaringly obvious. Like, they wanted to sow some seeds of doubt that maybe his own dad was the bad guy, but it was, mm-hmm. like, really obvious to me. Yeah. yeah. It was really obvious to me that that was just a plot device to upset the main character, mm-hmm. and they show clearly every time any of the victims die their face that it's happening to them, and, like, you get that, like, yeah. kind of... Which the deaths in this movie aren't really that brutal, but you get that kind of moment of, like, ooh, they didn't make it. Yeah. And then... The homeboy gets hit by the subway train. Yeah, and they show, like, very clearly the person's face, the lady cop shit gets the wax on her face. Like, you see Mm -hmm. clearly it's happening directly to them. And then when they quote-unquote skin his partner alive, you never at any point see the actor's face. Yeah, they're like, well, something's obviously different. Yeah, they show the face of someone who doesn't have flesh on them, but it doesn't even look like the 
the kid. Mm -hmm. So I was like immediately like, well, obviously that dude isn't actually dead. (laughs) You showed everyone else dying. You did not show his face. You just showed body parts as he was being skinned. And that's part of the genius of the original, like the canonical films of Saw, at least, is maybe that's what they were aiming for because you always see the, the, the deaths. The traps are the reason why people go to watch those movies. There's no getting out of the angel trap when that chick has her rib cage ripped open and her organs fall out in front of everybody. She's not coming back to life. She's gonzo, folks. You know, and a couple of other times where they've wanted us to believe somebody is dead, um, they have done that. So in the original, the doctor... Um, saws off his foot at the end of the movie. I'm sorry if you haven't seen Saw, but it's called Saw. He uses a saw. He saws off his fucking foot. And he walks out. And then we don't see him for like three or four other films. And then we come back into... And nobody mentions the Doctor, which is like a glaring thing throughout. It's like, well, are we just not going to address that that guy cut his foot off? Why did he do that? And then when we see him again, um, he's stumbling through the hallways and it's like in a flashback form and then we don't see him again for a little while and then he shows up at one of those survivor meetings with like a prosthetic foot you know and he's reintegrated back into it so the one other time that we've not shown the fate of a character he has come back as a bad guy you just did that in short form and spiral yeah <laughs> and it like i said for me like the second they showed his supposed death scene and you couldn't see the character's face it was like well clearly the bad guy so that ruins, <laughs> ruins your big reveal. <laughs> yeah, like it's shocking when you find out that like Amanda has taken over the role, you know, at, in one of the films. Or it's I don't know if I ever saw that one, to be honest. It's the, um, the one where the yeah you did the one oh, where the, the kids where in the safe needle pit. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Actually, because yeah, that is kind of surprising. Because yeah, she seems like she's just as freaked out as everyone else. Yeah, and she's she part of the game. Ends up in the needle pit. Yeah. And the fact that she put herself in that situation. Yeah, and it's a huge reveal if you watch them in order because she's the very first scene that maybe... No, she's the very first... No, she's not even the very first trap because the, the, the ultimate, the, the, the main trap is revealed and then she's being interviewed by the police. Or do I have that fucked up in her scene with the bear trap? Was that the opening scene of the original film? Yeah, the bear trap is her actual trap the first time she gets mm-hmm. captured and then the needle pit is her trap the second time when yeah, she's just, the bad guy. I can't remember if they set up the bathroom before they do the Amanda trap or if it's they're both in the front end. I haven't yeah. seen it in a while. We're rewatching Saw <laughs> 1 today. <laughs> Gonna pass. Thanks, though. Um, but and the big reveal in Saw 1, where the body gets off the fucking floor. You're never gonna top that. If I were them, I would have just been like, we're, we're done. Saw is the perfect horror movie. It's made on a next-to-nothing goddamn budget. It mostly takes place in a bathroom, and it's scary as shit. <laughs> I think that's kind of the bummer of um, like a big studio producing your film, because then at that point, the original creator doesn't have control over it anymore, and other people can come back behind you and make sequels that aren't true to your original vision. Yeah. Because the studio now owns it. <laughs> it's like when we watched Jason X and it's like, how did we get here? Jason was not even the bad guy in Friday the 13th. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, I mean, the studio bought the rights to it from the original creator and then that original creator no longer has rights to it, so... Those bastards. I do think, though, 
it kind of puts, I guess, like falling into stereotypes for films into perspective, though, because like the very next day we watched a little film that we thought was going to be our two star mm-hmm. film called spelled one br but it's one bedroom obviously um and very different setup because yeah like a lot of scary movies or thrillers mm-hmm. or whatever kind of have this like oh we're gonna shock you at some point in the movie with this bit of information you didn't see coming that you usually see coming yeah and with one bedroom like 15 20 minutes into the film ish like they set up the premise that these people are yeah a cult basically yeah, if you've not seen one bedroom definitely pause this and then come back to it because this film i, I loved it i fucking loved <laughs> one bedroom <laughs> uh yeah but basically the entire apartment complex is and that's not really giving away too much of the movie because yeah, it the comes plot. out yeah. very early on and yeah it's pretty much the plot of the film like the apartment complex is this cult and they basically um trap this girl into their cult and it's like her being assimilated into this cult and like you that's the reveal very early into the mm-hmm. movie and a huge chunk of the movie is her assimilation into the cult and like trying to fight it and not being able to fight yeah, it. Yeah and I guess you do kind of have that will she won't she try to rebel or is she just going to be another member of the cult so you kind of have that like mm-hmm. how is this going to end moment but I think you go into those kind of movies with the expectation like Oh, she's the heroine of the story. She's going to yeah. try to break free at some point. So, like, the big plot twist that these people are all crazy isn't really the plot twist. Mm-hmm. It's just like, oh, and now you're going to watch her be tortured yeah. for the whole rest of the movie. <laughs> it's a fucking, it's a move that I love, and it really worked in one bedroom because we do get her fight to get free, but we know that... Like, once she's free at the end, she starts to realize that the whole thing is this cult that she doesn't yes. fit. This beautiful, poetic moment where she realizes she's fucked. Yeah. <laughs> no matter where but she I like goes. How her but her fist eyes falls are... up and she's like, I'm gonna fight. Exactly. And it's very rare that you get the right payoff for the move, but my favorite move in cinema is that feeling of hands around your throat tightening and tightening and tightening and you never get that release of the pressure and it's hard to nail the correct release you know hitting that valve right at the perfect time just go so you thought everything was going to explode and that fist balling up is yet again another representation of the pressure building we never get released so when we hit the end credit you you leave there with that tension. Like you you well, leave there with that. You see her running down the street, so you kind of get a sense of yeah, and all of the house lights or whatever. Yeah, start you kind of get the sense of at the very least she's gonna fight back, but you mm-hmm. don't really know if she makes it or not. Mm-hmm. But yeah, no, um, very well done movie, and there's not really any like big um, plot twists or anything in it, like. Mm-hmm. It tells you what it is, and yeah. it's like, welcome to our world, we're then, here now. It's like a, like a Rob Zombie's like House of a Thousand. Like, it's immediately obvious that this is a gang of serial killers. And then it just becomes a, will they get out of here? You know, run, rabbit, run. Yeah, and like, really beautiful tension building throughout. Like, when she has that moment where she hallucinates and thinks her dad is like coming to rescue her, and yeah. her hands are nailed to the wall, mm-hmm. and she rips them out. 
And then passes out. Yeah, and heavy use of, speaking of the hands on the wall thing, heavy use of like actual, like CS, C, not CSI, CIA, um, like quote unquote advanced interrogation tactics. You know, stuff that we do in Guantanamo Bay. You know, we, obviously, I don't work at Guantanamo, but uh, that big debate that was happening a few years back, you guys might remember, we were supposed to close down Guantanamo. We never did. Ah, we're silly bitches. Um, but the hands on the wall, the sleep deprivation, the interrogation and having your personnel file and knowing everything about you and trying to drive you mad. And then we see her almost snap, and we as an audience aren't sure necessarily if she has snapped once her friend comes into the picture mm -hmm. and she's going along with this advanced interrogation technique that's definitely not torture. <laughs> I, I do find it interesting, which I mean, I guess that's still probably part of the torture, that they give her food in liquid form. Mm -hmm. So, like... She has to lap it out of the bowl. Well, no, they give it to her in a cup with a straw, so That's she right. it's like a milkshake, which I'm assuming like is like some kind of protein thing that she has to drink. Yeah, like blended chicken or some shit. Well, I mean, even if it's probably mm -hmm. just like a literal protein, protein shake. shake. Um, I mean, and I guess that kind of follows with like trying to keep her weak, like you're not giving her like, like a steak or whatever. The you know? minimum. Yeah, yeah. but... They also give her a little bedpan, and I was like, oh, man, she's probably going to have diarrhea. If that's all she's getting to eat, and then now you have to clean that up. Welcome to the world. <laughs> that was my thought. I was like, I, I feel like you're just making this situation unpleasant for everyone now, though. Everybody because, involved. Yeah. Now she's going to have diarrhea, and she's going to give you that gross bedpan back, <laughs> and you have to live with that life. <laughs> I think that the people that are trying to take over the world with their little fucking hotel cult, I, I think they can handle a little diarrhea. <laughs> <laughs> but no, very well I like that it had, like, the mother-type character who's kind of like a betrayal subject. The murder of that mother figure. That's incredible. When they take out... you remember? She wasn't murdered. She died. She had cancer. Yeah, but didn't they, like, inject her? No. Or stab her to death? Oh, the old lady yeah. in the community. I thought you were talking about the main character's actual mother. No, yeah, no, 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 they suffocated her. Yeah, they fucking killed the shit out of her. Yeah, like and I she, thought they she, were going to inject her. And she accepted this, like, barbaric euthanasia. <laughs> yeah, I totally thought, because they were like, oh, get the one person, because they're the doctor in the community. And I was like, oh, she's going to, like, overdose this lady in yeah. drugs, and she's going to go out in her sleep. No. No. They straight up put her a bag over her head and then somehow with an oxygen tank which I don't know how that works that doesn't make sense to me sucked the air out of the bag because they fed the tube up in there and I'm like that's not how oxygen tanks work but alright whatever um, but yeah put a bag over her head and sucked the air out of the bag and just suffocated her to death Yeah, which is incredibly inhumane yeah should have stabbed her in the heart she's old punch her in the forehead seriously <laughs> One good whack with a baseball bat over the head or something. It all goes dark regardless. <laughs> but yeah, no, they've got these weird rituals throughout. My one thing, and it, you know, I, I don't want to sound like the world's smartest person, so maybe it was only obvious, you know, maybe it was obvious to everybody. Maybe I'm the only one who caught on to it. Um, I knew that their little dude handing out pamphlets, I was immediately, I was like, that's our revolution. That's our revolutionary character. He's going to do something to help her escape. 
Well, the pamphlets I've, he was handing out was like the Colts pamphlet, though. Yeah, but they'd taken his eye and they'd done some other shit to him and they'd killed his wife, you know? So, like, I knew that he was going to be this, you know, overcome it. I kind of hoped he would have a bigger moment than he did, though. Yeah. Like, his moment Getting was a little to weak. death by the crowd. Well, he shot himself, I think. That's right, yeah. Um, We watched all these movies, like, in the past two weeks, guys. I don't have all the details. (laughs) But, like, he literally waited until she had the gun and she was trying to make her break for it to stand up for her. Like, Mm -hmm. I thought he was going to, like, help her, like, plan it. Yeah, like, Um, open the back window and throw a rope down. Which I guess you wouldn't get that. (laughs) Okay, maybe that was a bit of a plot twist. That rather shocking moment where the black chick that she's sort of friends with, but not really friends with, gets shot in the back of the head. That was a bit of a, oh, God, that happened. (laughs) Um, I guess you wouldn't get that moment if he had jumped in sooner to help her, but... (laughs) Yeah. uh, Yeah, that was kind of wild, because she she was definitely like, fuck that, dude, we're free, and then boom. (laughs) You're not, though. (laughs) It's all over. You fucking forced your hand. Which I guess you can, you can buy into the idea of it once they reveal that it's a much bigger cult. But yeah. my thought the whole time was, um, we never actually really see any of the main characters coming or going. You see people coming and going out of the building, and you see that the main guy has the buzzer, mm-hmm. and you can't leave without the buzzer. Um, Which was a beautiful setup. That we reveal like halfway through that's played at the very beginning. What's going on? Oh, the buzzer's always breaking. Yeah. Um, (laughs) But because none of the main people ever leave, it does kind of like I had moments during it where I was like, how do they afford to keep the place going? Like, where do they get their food from? And because they have these like community like barbecues and stuff. And I'm like, if nobody ever leaves and nobody has a job because they like call your, uh, work and like make up some lie about you quitting and cut off all your connections before they basically abduct you i'm like how are they getting any money for this place (laughs) (laughs) how about what happens to the goddamn dog it's thrown in the fucking oven oh the cat (laughs) how about the fucking cat (laughs) yeah no she wakes up to smoke in her apartment and i Kind of jokingly was like, oh, was like they're cooking her cat. Yeah. And then they really cooked her cat. I've never seen that in a movie before. That was fucking brilliant. Like it, it didn't have like these like to compare it to the Saw film. It didn't have these huge grotesque violent moments. It had these really personal, subtle yet horrific the burning of the cat. The nailing of the hands to the walls, the pulling the hands off of the walls through the nails so that she rips her own shit up and she's bleeding, the shooting of her best friend. They're not like elaborate, rip the lungs apart scenes. And maybe that's why they stood out more than anything I saw in Spiral. Mm-hmm. You know, like when I see a saw trap, I'm like, well, there's two ways this is going to go, and this person is an irrelevant character. Well, <laughs> I feel like in all the more recent ones, too, nobody escapes the trap. So, like yeah. in the more recent ones, you're like, oh, you're going to die. People escaped the traps when Jigsaw was alive. Amanda escaped the trap. You know, the doctor escaped the trap. Um, but yeah, but those are. Even the ones that survive are these huge, elaborate, like the bear trap on the head is going to rip her fucking jaws open. She gets it right as it opens up. So she throws it on the floor, the trap explodes, and she's like, holy shit, I'm still alive. That's as subtle as Saw ever gets. (laughs) What was her 
challenge. What did she have to do to herself? To she get had to the get key? the key out of her quote unquote dead cellmate stomach. Oh. And then as so she's wasn't... stabbing the dead cellmate, he realizes that they just trank the dead. So she has to literally murder her former cellmate, pull so, out his intestines, see. and get the key out of I mean, his that's intestines. traumatic, but I don't feel like that's as bad because most of the other traps are like really it's never horrific exp- things you have to do to yourself. It's never explained why she's killing the cellmate. Really? Yeah, they never go back on that. They never explain what that that dude did (laughs) to deserve uh, getting stabbed to death by Amanda. That's a bummer. It's an open open plot hole I could make a whole movie about. I feel like she got the easiest one. (laughs) One of Jigsaw's early victims. And I don't think that... uh, I've watched them all. Maybe I'm wrong. I don't think that they ever reveal what that dude did to deserve to have his organs pulled out while his heart was still beating. (laughs) By a heroin oh. addict, yeah, but I don't like that's as subtle as Saul gets in bedroom. We don't see the cat getting thrown into the oven, and then you know they turn the oven on, and you watch the cat on fire like you do in Saul two or three with the dude in the incinerator, and you get these really subtle, almost completely off-screen, which makes it easier on a budget and it's more effective. You know, I, I don't know. Well, I think it's visually, um, obviously, less traumatic to watch because you're not seeing it. But mm-hmm. I think mentally you kind of piece in what Holy they don't fuck. show you. <laughs> and so then you kind of get the sensation, like watching a scene like that, where we come into the scene because the character's waking up because the house is full of smoke. And she's got her earplugs in and the sound is muffled, which yeah. is distorting for the audience as well. Um, and so you, as a viewer, kind of get the sen- same sensation, like someone has snuck into your home in the middle of the night, mm-hmm. and now your house is full of smoke, and what are you going to find, and are they still there? Um, so yeah, I, I, I think you kind of get a similar like feeling of suspense that the actual character has, because you're like, who's in my house? Yeah. What's going on? Are they still here? Yeah. <laughs> and then you walk out, and you're like, oh god. They cooked my cat. <laughs> yeah, which hurts, you know, at least Americans on like a personal level because you've got a young, you know, college-aged woman uh, living alone in a new place. This is her companion animal. You know, it would be like if I was walking down the street and somebody just shot Jacks in the fucking face. Like it would, it would steal so much of you know what keeps me strong. You know, so to kill this baby character that is this thing that she nurtures to better herself as she becomes a better person so early in the film and what I have to imagine is a horrific way to die as a cat just getting put on broil and (laughs) left there like is that's that's what's up I like that as a person who likes horror movies. I kind of like the tension, too, with the scene whenever her dad finally shows up because she has a that terrible... That was the best. She has a terrible relationship with her dad, and she even, I think, at some point kind of mentions because her dad was having an affair um, as yeah. her mother was dying of cancer, and she threatened her dad and told her dad um, she was going to tell her mom if he didn't stop, and then she couldn't go through with it. She let her mom die thinking yeah. she had a great husband. Um, and so they have this terrible relationship, and I think she, like, at some point indicates her dad never really, like, apologized for it or, like, didn't really, like, address it or anything like that. Um, and he stayed with this woman, and he's now with this woman. 
yeah. uh, that he was fucking around with while her mom was dying. Um, and you kind of get that sensation where she wants her dad to care. And so he finally shows up when he hasn't heard from her in forever because he's concerned about her. And he, in that scene, apologizes to her and he's like, I, you know, I'm sorry, yeah, I shouldn't have done that. he's coming to pieces. Yeah. Trying to get his daughter back. And she's forced to ruin that relationship, too, by telling him she never wants to see him again. Yeah. Except for at his funeral and, like, all this how, stuff. How brilliant of a move is it to have the assassin damn near at that guy's throat when he finally says fine I'll leave and then that guy slowly and it's like we know it she knows it the guy who's about to kill him knows it but he has no idea Mm -hmm. so like it adds this level of he thinks that's just his daughter being real with him for a minute and he smacks her in the face smacks her in the face she takes the smack and you see death recede which I don't think I've ever seen in a movie. You know, hit me up with a different movie that's done that move where you see the killer coming. We have information this character doesn't know, and the killer does not kill that guy. Just backs out. Goes back into that closet, lets Dad leave the room. I've never seen that before. trying to think if I have... I don't think yeah, so. Nothing's coming immediately. Exactly. Like, the, like Road to Perdition may have a scene like that, but I can't remember if that's the exact movie <laughs> where Tom Hanks plays the gangster. I mean, if we're going to compare different techniques, though, I feel like it was a lot more effective. Like, yeah, one Bedroom was 20 times better than every Spiral. Every movie doesn't have to have a big plot twist to be successful. Yeah, and One Bedroom didn't have a single known character. And I always think that that's an effective move. If you can go without your Samuel L. Jackson's. Like, you save Samuel for something that he deserves. You don't drag him into something. And his... My favorite scene in Spiral, because I'm not shitting on it entire, is the relationship between Kiss, Kiss Rock, Chris Rock and Samuel L. Jackson's character. That fight that they get into. That is about the only good scene in the whole it's movie. It's the only though. good scene in the whole movie, but it's two legends playing off each other. And like I feel a lot of rage in their relationship in that brief moment, because Samuel L. Jackson is great at rage, and you... You don't expect Chris Rock to be angry ever. <laughs> yeah, he tried way too hard to be angry this whole movie. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, that scene was brilliant, and that is hilarious. I mean, there's a lot of funny lines in it, too, because he's like, <laughs> I saw you, and you just nodded at me. He's <laughs> like, what, do you want to go get dinner? <laughs> uh, but, um... Shoot, I was going to say something, and now it's left me. Oh, um... Speaking of plot twists, and I just, I mean, like I said, perfect example because I don't really feel like One Bedroom really had much in the way of plot twists. And yeah, it set the stage, and then you just live in that world yeah. for the next hour and, then and a half. Movies like Saw try to catch you with some plot twist at the end, and I mean, it was very effective in the beginning, but after you've seen the sixth one, you're like, I got it. I know who did it. Yeah, I know what's going on. Chester Bennington's getting thrown out of the window of that car, and he's glued to the seat, so he's going to bleed out from his back. Yeah, I'm but. I feel like maybe that was my only problem with Hereditary, is they tried to do that too. Like, you have the, like, cult to the end that's kind of the plot twist, and I'm like, this was a fantastic movie until just now. It should have been a mental health movie, <laughs> right? Like, like it was it, a really cool movie up until the last 
15, 20 minutes. Yeah. I, I, I really want to rewatch Hereditary. I don't know where it's at. It's not in its box. I feel like we might have left it in Tennessee. We might have to rebuy it. Bastards. Yeah. But yeah, I really want to rewatch Hereditary. Um, I, I, I just remember being so drawn into that mother's rage, that grief, like imagining myself as that son who accidentally killed his own sister. You know, while he was technically trying to take care of her, that he scene where he specifically told his mom he didn't want to bring her. Yeah, so it it rests on the, the, that 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 it's a trauma film, but they pulled the parachute too early, and they're like, it's cults, and it's like it shouldn't be cults. Drive mom nuts, never let go of that throat, and then roll the credits. And I Let's didn't, see what happens. I didn't love the way they executed it, but like I think that's a part of the reason I really, really liked I've been thinking of ending things is it's a weird-ass movie in the end part when they're trying to reveal um, this is just all kind of in this dying character's head. Mm-hmm. They get a little weird with it, but like... There isn't a major plot twist other than, I guess, you coming to the realization that the two younger characters don't exist. Yeah, and the time doesn't make any sense. Yeah, and, yeah. like, that's just him when he was younger, and he's fantasizing about all the women that have rejected him, and, like, you mm-hmm. know, his idea of wanting to be loved and admired and stuff. So, like, it's a little weird at the end, especially if you don't realize that's what the plot is, because we kind of had to go back and be like, wait, what? <laughs> well, it's a subtle trick, because my mom, the reason that I love thrillers, and that eventually led me into horror and looking for the perfect, I, I, I think if there's a thriller, it's not, I mean, like, the thriller, it's not going to be like a thriller romance. It's going to be a thriller horror akin to Saw, or a thriller crime movie, you know, akin to Fracture or Usual Suspects. Something where you can get that twist in in a law and order kind of a sense. Well, I mean, even The Sixth Sense did a really good job of it. Gone Girl, unbelievable. (laughs) I feel like people like... I don't know. People feel like they need to have this aha moment. I got yeah. you. And it's like, you don't have to. You Not don't, every time. Like, yeah. if you have a good one, sure, go for it. Well, you do in a thriller. You need an aha moment at some point in the plot. And I can come right in the middle and it's like, oh, I've been chasing the wrong dog this entire time. Like, let me run, you know, to the right instead of to the left. You can put that aha moment. But in a thriller, I think the aha is necessary. Um, even in... The Fugitive. It wasn't me, it was the one-armed man. We know that it was the one-armed man from the beginning, and the thrill is the aha moment of, I figured out who the unarmed man was. You said one-armed man. One-armed, not unarmed. <laughs> unarmed man. You said one-armed man, and it made me think of it for some reason, because uh, it's the six-fingered man. Can we watch The Princess Bride tonight? I'm down. Okay. <laughs> that has nothing to do with thrillers, but I was like, ooh, the six-fingered man. I'm down. My name is something, something. <laughs> you Montoya. murdered my father and prepared yeah, no. to die. My name is Inigo Montoya. What if I poison both of the glasses? Uh, it doesn't matter, because I've been training myself to resist the poison. <laughs> it's inconceivable. I'm going to go make wings... No. Oh. Wings and waffle fries, because... <laughs>
There's a shortage can, of rings out here in Montana. But we can do them in the deep fryer and have like deep fried waffle fries. That sounds like a sick ass idea. Yeah, and waffle fries are delightful. I love waffle we're fries. We're gonna watch The Princess Bride. <laughs> and we'll talk to you guys next week. I love you, sweetheart. I love you. And I love. I love you, baby.